How many believe he is holy? He is holy. He's holy. He's more than worthy to be praised. Amen. Can we give him another hand clap of praise this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Well, we're in our second week of our sermon series called Minor But Still Major. Minor But Still Major. We're looking at um, uh, some, you might call them minor characters in the Bible that did some major stuff in the Bible for God. The character we're going to talk about today might confuse you a little bit, but he was actually considered a minor prophet, so I'm kind of throwing him in here. Uh, but start this whole thing off, I remember growing up, well, first of all, I have a cousin who is out in Houston, Texas, who is also a minister. His name is Gary Piercy, and uh, whenever we grew up, he grew up in Texas, and when our families would get together for family reunions, we would all show up down at my grandma and grandpa Piercy's house in southern Illinois in uh, Mount Vernon. And the thing about Gary and myself are, uh, I'm two hours older than Gary. Two hours older, so I'm older than Gary, but growing up, he was huge. He was twice my size. So every time we would get together down in Mount Vernon at Grandma's house, I would challenge him to an arm wrestling uh, match. You know, some of you probably arm wrestled when you were kids. Maybe you still do. I don't know. But it's supposed to be kind of a test of strength. But I remember laying on the middle of Grandma's floor with the family around us, Gary and I would lock arms in an arm wrestling match, and both of us were so stubborn, we were determined we weren't going to give in and let the other one win. We would lay there on the floor deadlocked, it seemed like, for hours. I know it was just minutes. My wrist was hurting. My arm was aching. My face was beat red, I'm sure. But I was bound and determined I wasn't going to let my pride get hurt, and I was more determined I wasn't going to let my cousin beat me. He must have felt the same way. Because we never beat each other. We ended up always having to just call a draw. There wasn't any really supernatural human strength there, but there is, and some of you guys know, just something about being crowned the strongest man. I don't know what that is, but that's maybe why we like Superman. Amen? Remember Superman, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a what? Single bound. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's... Superman, some of you are tracking with me this morning. Superman was the go-to guy. Superman was it in the day. Well, he's still it in this day. But Superman, believe it or not, had one weakness. What was that? Anybody remember? Kryptonite. Wow, you guys are on track. I picked a good subject here this morning. Today we're talking about the real biblical Superman. A man of incredible strength. His name happens to be Samson. How many have ever heard of Samson? Samson's strength actually came from God, but the tragic thing about Samson is that while he had this, uh, he was a man of incredible strength, a man of great human strength, physical strength, he was also a man of great moral weakness that plagued him his entire life. He had a serious problem through his whole life controlling his desires, especially when it came to women. He just had a problem. So today we're going to be talking about him, and the story of Samson is found if you're tracking, uh, following along, and today we don't have it on the screens, but Judges chapter 13 through Judges chapter 16, it's in the Old Testament. But the first thing I want you to know about this man called uh, Samson, 
I started to call him Solomon. I knew I'd do that. And I might call him that in this sermon, but I'm meaning Samson. But the thing about uh, Samson was he was one of the judges of Israel. He was actually the last one mentioned in this book of the Bible. And when you think of judges, don't think of this guy in a black robe with a gavel like Judge Judy. Okay, don't think of that. Because judges back in this day were more like heroes. I mean, they were known for their military strength. They were known for their military might. And in fact, this might clue you in. The Hebrew word for judge actually means savior. Also means deliverer. So let me start out by reading Judges uh, chapter 13, verse 1. It starts out with the word again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That word again is a very important word because it reveals a consistent cycle of disobedience with the people of God, against God. The cycle of disobedience of the Hebrew people. And it was kind of like this, and if you know the Old Testament, you already kind of know the cycle. The people would, uh, would turn away from God, rebel against God, and begin to worship the pagan gods of the nations around them. Uh, then they would suffer the consequences, the painful consequences of doing that, and then they would cry out to God, and then God would send a judge to deliver them. you think everything's all right. No. Then they would go back to rebelling against God, and this vicious cycle would start all over again. It's all through the Old Testament. If you've ever read the Old Testament, it's there. But this situation is different. This time is different. God actually starts delivering His people before they ask him to. God starts delivering his people before they repent and actually cry out to him to deliver them. And their main enemy, the Israelites' enemy back in that day, were the Philistines, this powerful nation, Philistine nation. They would come in and they conquered a lot of nations, and they would conquer nations by something called assimilation. I don't know if you know what that means, but that would mean they would come into a culture, assimilate with that culture. They would move into that culture. They would blend into that culture and merge with it. And they did with this with the Israelites to a point where they basically lost their unique identity as God's people because they, after a while, wholeheartedly received the values, the customs, and worst of all, the Id idols and idolatry of the Philistines. So simply put, their religion started to disappear. Their trust in God started to disappear as it blended into the culture around them. Does that sound familiar today? Does that sound at all familiar? I think the church as a whole is in danger of losing its impact because we have merged into our culture. We have merged into our culture where a lot of times you look at a Christian and a non-Christian, you can't see any noted difference. So I think we're in danger of losing our impact on the world around us because we've assimilated into our culture. We blended in. And back then, it was a slow process. It didn't happen overnight. It happened so slowly that within, one, well, one or two generations, you couldn't even tell the Philistines apart from the Israelites. It happened so slowly that they didn't even see it happening. It took place so slowly. It just creeps in. And I say that again to warn us because the world is creeping in to God's church. So God shows up to deliver His people before they forget who he is. 
He shows up to deliver his people before they forget who they are. And that's where we pick up uh, this story about Samson. That's where uh, his story comes into play. So God steps up. He had to come in and break through. He had to come in to rescue his people. So he shows up. He shows up to a man and his wife. And interestingly enough, his wife is barren, couldn't conceive. He shows up and tells them they're going to have a son who's going to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. From the very beginning, God tells them that he's going to be, even from his mother's womb, set apart. He's going to be set apart for the Lord's work. Verse 5 tells us that he is also to be a Nazarite. He's supposed to take a Nazarite vow. And if you don't know what that is, if you look it up in Numbers chapter 6, it talks about three commitments that a a person taking a Nazarite vow has to adhere to, has to hold to. The first one is they can't cut their hair. The second one is they can't drink anything from the vine. They can't drink anything alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And the third one is they can't touch any kind of dead body. Usually this vow was actually taken just for a short time by a person. Not the case with Samson. Samson didn't take a vow. He was given a vow by God. And it was a vow that he was supposed to be committed to his entire life. I'm giving you some history here to set this up. Judges chapter 13 verse 5. An angel comes to Samson's parents and says this, He will take the lead or begin in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But as you go through this story, we go through this story, we're going to discover the reality is he never delivers anything. He never delivers anything, and do you know why? Because he doesn't and isn't able to deliver himself. And since he never dealt with his fatal flaws... He's only able to start the process. He's only able to begin to deliver Israel. So in verse 25, it says, The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. He starts out this process, and without the Spirit, we can't do anything. The Spirit of the Lord begins to stir him. So think about this man. He's set apart for the Lord's work. Think about this man. He is stirred up by the Spirit of God. Samson had everything he needed to accomplish his task. He had everything to succeed, and according and compared to other biblical characters, he had more than most. He had more than most, but he let it all slip away. He let it all slip right through his hands. You know, sometimes we look at the Bible, we read stories about different Bible characters, and we think, I could never be like him. I could never be like her. Not the case with Samson. He's a lot like us. I'd say because most of us know what it means to be tempted. All of us struggle with the desire to get even, to retaliate, to get revenge. That's why whenever we see uh, Samson going through what he goes through and see him struggling and seeing him falling and failing, we actually have an idea of what he's going through. And the reason we have an idea is because I think there's some Samson in all of us. I think there's a whole lot of Samson in most of us, if we'd be honest with ourselves. One of the things that we're going to learn from this text and this story is actually sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will always take you a lot further than you want to go, and sin will keep you a whole lot longer than you want to stay. Amen? I mean, sin is a powerful, destructive force in our world, in our lives. So in uh, chapter 14, this is where we start to watch Samson's downward spiral in his uh, life for God. It says in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and saw there a young Philistine woman. 
Well, his parents had already warned him, don't ever get in a relationship, don't ever get connected to a uh, Philistine woman because she's not on the same faith track as you are. They believe in false gods. Well, Samson won't have any part of it because he's got this problem with women. He starts making wedding plans as soon as he sees her. Well, in route to Timnah, it says that Samson and his parents got separated, and he cuts through a vineyard. First of all, I think a vineyard, he's not supposed to drink anything from the vine. I'm thinking he's in a bad place to begin with. But he passes through the vineyard, and he encounters a lion. Judges chapter 14, verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I'm thinking, I don't know about you, but I know I couldn't tear a goat apart, whether it's young or old, amen? If it was me, we'd probably have to say, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Pastor D, and he tore apart that lion like he tore apart a wet paper sack, something like that. But here's the weird part. The second part of verse 6 says, but he told neither his father nor mother what he had done. I mean, let's get real. If you and I went out and tore apart a lion with our bare hands, everybody's going to know about it, right? We're going to tell everybody at every barbecue, every kid's little birthday party, every Bible study, we're going to tell everybody. We're going to post it on our Throwback Thursday with the caption, remembering when uh, I killed that lion with my bare hands, and you can guarantee if I did it, I'd find a way to work it into every sermon, amen? You remember when I tore apart that lion, I don't don't have anything to do with what I'm talking about, but I tore apart the lion. You kind of get my point. Well, months later on their return for the actual wedding trip, Samson cuts back through uh, his, uh, the vineyard, the same vineyard that he went through before, and he sees the dead lion. He sees the carcass of the dead lion, and he found that a colony of bees had moved in there, made their home in this carcass, and uh, made this beautiful honeycomb full of honey. Look what he does. Verse 9, he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Here's the deal. Here's the problem. He broke a vow. No touching a dead body. Animal or human, no touching any kind of dead body. Why didn't he tell anybody about what he had done, especially his parents? I think it's because he already realized he was already starting to compromise that vow he had taken. He's starting to compromise his commitment to God. Uh, Samson uh, hosted then a pre-wedding feast. It was more like a drunk fest that went on for seven days. Again, vow number two broken because he was drinking alcohol. So instead of delivering the people from the Philistines, guess what Samson is doing? He's joining in. He's assimilating with the Philistines. He challenges his 30 groomsmen to answer a riddle. He's about to give them a riddle, and he says, I'm going to give you guys a riddle, and if you can guess it within seven days, then I have to get you guys all new clothes. But if you can't guess it within those seven days, you guys owe me some brand new clothes. And then he tells them the riddle. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Have any idea what he's talking about? You should, because he's talking about that lion he has just killed. Out of the eater, the lion, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. He's talking about the lion he killed with a honeycomb on the inside. But they lose patience. Within the fourth day, upon the fourth day, these 
groomsmen are getting impatient. And by the way, they're Philistines. They're getting impatient to the point they're getting frustrated. So they go to his bride-to-be and her family. And listen to what they say in verse 15. And following on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle from us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. What a lovely wedding party, amen? What a lovely bunch of groomsmen. So Samson's bride threw a fit. He finally gives in to her, tells her what the riddle is. Then she immediately goes to her Philistine buddies, because remember, she's a Philistine, goes to her Philistine buddies, lets them know what the riddle is, and they come and they figure out the riddle. This next part's kind of funny to me because Samson is ticked that they know the riddle, and he kind of knows why. In verse 18, look what it says. Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Plowed with my heifer or worked with my heifer? Do you have any idea what he's talking about? He's talking about his bride-to-be. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, my wife-to-be, or worked with my heifer, you wouldn't have been able to figure this out. Can you imagine me saying that about Cheryl? <laughs> I wouldn't be up here to live to tell about it, amen? It would be like uh, Shep asking me, hey, can you guys go out to dinner after church? I'd say, well, check with my heifer. That ain't going to fly. <laughs> so Samson is so angry at losing this bet over this riddle that he loses his temper. He actually goes out and he kills 30 Philistine men in a fit of anger, strips them naked, takes all of their clothes, and takes their outfits back, and he gives them to his groomsmen to make the bet good. I mean, how would you like to uh, be given a dead man's clothes? Anyway, that's how he uh, makes his payment. And then he bolts, he just leaves and walks away. So he leaves basically the bride at the altar. We've all heard of that. She's humiliated, her family's humiliated, her dad is probably thinking, wait a minute, I've got this venue already paid for, DJ's here, uh, we've got the catering here, everything is set, my daughter's going to marry somebody, and he makes sure she does. He hands her off to Samson's best man that was in his wedding party to get married. So Samson, this hot-tempered uh, runaway groom, he goes home to sulk for a while, and after he cools down, he goes back to his bride-to-be, and he brings her uh, a young goat as a gift. I think that's probably the equivalent of a box of Fannie Mae chocolates today. I don't know. But he brings her uh, this uh, young goat as a gift. And uh, I think, I'm getting lost here today. I'm used to my screens. But when Samson arrived, he learned that his former father-in-law had given away his bride. When Samson, had arri Samson arrived, he learned that he had given him away to his best man. I can just imagine the father thinking, well, you didn't show up. We didn't know what was going. We thought you gave up on her, so I gave her to your best man. By the way, he just got a new set of clothes. He just got a new outfit. You know, when I read this story, I kind of think of uh, Samson any minute turning into Mel Gibson putting on a kilt, jumping on a horse, and crying out for the freedom of his people. I mean, think about it. I mean, I use your imagination. But bigger than that, I think, when's he going to step up and do what God has called him to do? When's he going to step up and be the man of God he's called to be? When's he going to fulfill his destiny? Because he just never does. It never happens. And think about how he was anointed. Think about how he was, was equipped even from birth. But he never walks in what God had called him to walk in. 
I mean, he was miraculously born. He was anointed. He was miraculously gifted, empowered, has every opportunity in the world to change the world around him and, and fulfill the mission that God had set him upon. But what does he do? He gets caught up in this revenge mode. His whole world uh, focuses around revenge and retaliation. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. Maybe there's people around you just waiting for you to step up and become all that God has called you to be. Maybe people are waiting for you to step up and be the mother or father that God has ordained you to be or the husband or wife that God has called you to be. And sad to say, I know so many young people today that all they do is sit around day and night playing video games, uh, never doing anything much with their life, and I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, that might explain kind of where Samson was at in his life. Now, Samson's really angry now because his wife, he has just found out, was given to someone else to marry. So he's really wanting uh, some retaliation. He's wanting some revenge. He's going to hit the Philistines where he can hurt them the most. If you know the story, he goes out and he gathers up not three, not 30, but 300 foxes. That's a cha uh, challenge in itself. Could you imagine catching 300 foxes? The next thing he does is even more uh, incredible. He ties them in pairs by tying their tails together. When was the last time you tried to tie two tails together? <laughs> Not lately. And then he puts a torch between their tails. And then he shoes them off into the Philistines' grain harvest, into their crops, their dried-out crops. Burns down the crops, burns down the vineyards, burns down, burns down the olive groves. And think about it, these were the main crops of that whole region. I mean, this was a devastating blow to their economy. It was a devastating blow to their lives, their finances. It definitely hit them where it hurt the most. The Philistines didn't retaliate, if you remember, when Samson killed those 30 men for their clothes. They didn't retaliate then, but they're about to retaliate now. He's crossed the line, and since they couldn't get their hands on Samson because he is too powerful, look what they do. They take his former father-in-law and his almost wife, and they burn them alive. Yeah, ruthless. This infuriated Samson even more, and it says in verse 7, he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. He retaliated. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. Now the Philistines, their response is they're going to mount up this incredible search-and-destroy mission against Samson. And the crazy part is, these fully assimilated Hebrew people hear about this plan and they say, hey, can we help you? Can we join you to go against their own, their own Samson? They said, we, we can help. So they gathered up 3,000 of their own men. They send them to the cave where he's hiding out. They convince him to come back to the Philistines. He even lets them bind up his arms. But look what it says in verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, the ropes of his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone from the carcass of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. He looks down and he sees this dried out jawbone from a dead donkey. He picks it up and he kills a thousand men. It's not a weapon, but he uses it as a weapon to take out a thousand Philistines. You can't tell me Samson isn't strong, amen? Strong and powerful. But after he kills these thousand Philistines, his own people make him the new judge. Verse 20 it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. 
But then I go to chapter 16, and it looks like Samson isn't on track at all. His problem shows up again in verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. So here he is, 20 years older, 20 years later, and he's still struggling with the same weakness he's always had. And if you think that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse, because a short time after that, he meets another gal that has become famous in his story, and most of you have heard about her part of the story, the Samson and Delilah saga, right? The Samson and Delilah. Verse 4 says that he falls in love with her. Remember how quickly he fell in love with the other Philistine. Now he falls in love with uh, Delilah. Verse 5, Delilah is offered a mega bunch of money, a whole bunch like she just won the lottery. She, she uh, uh, gets all this money if she'll go in and find the secret of his strength and then come back uh, and tell them. She was more than happy to do, for that, do it for that much money. And if you know the story... Samson toyed with her by giving her some fake answers on and on and on. But finally she gets fed up, and look what she says in verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? And then verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death of it. So here's this man who is so strong, he takes out a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, but he's no match to this woman's nagging. Now, guys, keep your eyes up here. Don't be looking at your wife. Don't be nodding in agreement here. So he finally breaks down, and he tells her the secret of his strength is her hair. Remember, up to this point, he's broken two vows. He's about to break the third one because, once again, he can't say no. He tells her the secret is his hair. She cuts his hair. Vow number three broken. Let me just backtrack a second here. Think how this story could have changed if he had hooked up with the right gal. Think about how this story could have changed if he would have got into a relationship with another believer, with another person that would encourage him and his mission and God's calling on his life. And I only say this, single people, be listening, because that's why it's so important to date another believer, somebody that's tracking on the same track that you are. Look at verse 19, and it says, and his strength left him. What's that tell me? It tells me that his strength was on loan. It tells me that his strength was actually from God, even though he took it for granted his whole life. But look what it says in the last of verse 20. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord's presence had left him. The Lord's power had left him, and he didn't even notice. His anointing had left, and he didn't even have a clue that it was gone. I'm going to actually stop this story here, and we're going to pick up the actual story later. But now I want you to start taking notes because there were three main weaknesses that got Solom Solomon, I told you I'd do it, Samson into the problems that he had. Three weaknesses. The first one was compromise. Compromise can be very dangerous. Look what it says in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. I think that's a play on words. I think it's actually God saying he was starting his downward spiral in his life because of some disobedience and poor decisions that he made. Judges chapter 8, it says sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside. I think there's more wordplay going on there because it describes what's happening on the inside of his heart. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, so I'll just say he got distracted. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. I think the main point is he compromised his commitment. He was more willing to go after a scoop of honey 
than to obey God's calling on his life. He wanted something sweet. He wanted something good. And he kind of gave his commitment away to not honoring God with his life. You realize that's how compromise works? We go out and we compromise one time. Single compromise. We look around and say, really, nothing bad really happened. So we think, well, I'll compromise again. Second time we compromise, it's easier. Third time, it's easier. Third time, fourth time, it's real easy to compromise. And even though there might be a few problems, it's not that big a deal. Let me tell you, the day's going to come when you compromise one too many times. And you're going to wake up and you're going to find that your strength is gone. You're going to find out that you're exactly in the middle of, of your enemy's clutches. And it's all because you stayed too close to your enemy and strayed too far from your God. Amen? It's as simple as that. We stay too close to our enemy, stray too far away from our God, and we've wasted our strength on a whole bunch of pride. And all at once, what happens? We find ourselves in a prison of our own making with a whole bunch of problems. Compromise is dangerous. Compromise will destroy your life. Compromise can destroy your faith, your family, your marriage by doing it one step at a time. Again, it just happens gradually, and sometimes we don't even see it happening. That's why I'm giving you this message as a warning, because compromise can destroy you. The second weakness was that he toyed with temptation. Samson toyed with temptation. These Philistine rulers weren't in the dark. They knew about his fatal flaw, his desire for women. So they come up with a scheme, a plan to put Delilah, this supposedly beautiful woman, across his path to find out the secret of his strength. Let's just say his final romance was a disaster. Think about Delilah's name. I found out that it means weakness. Delilah's name actually means weakness. It means to be brought low. So she definitely brought down Samson. She brought him down by attacking his weakest place in his life. Samson toys with her three different times, but each time he gets a little closer to telling her the truth. And his problem is that he thinks he's invincible. He thinks he can handle this. Now he's letting her touch his hair. Let me tell you, he's really toying with temptation. Let me just stop and give us all a word of advice. Don't put yourself in situations where you're vulnerable. If you have a problem with drinking, don't be going out to the bars. If you have a wandering eye, don't be flirting with that person at your office. If you have a problem with uh, lust and getting on the internet, put an internet filter on your internet to keep you from going to those sites that can tear you down. Because Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 it tells us the truth about sin. It says sin is crouching at your door. Where? Crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at every one of our doors, and it says it desires to have you, to destroy you. But you must master it. I think he's saying use wisdom. Stay away from those areas of temptation. And the third point I want to bring out today, his area of weakness was pride. If you know anything about the Bible, the Bible's pretty clear about what God thinks about pride. He hates pride. In fact, he puts it at uh, the top of uh, his main list of things that he despises. Proverbs 8.13 says, I hate pride and arrogance. This is God speaking. Evil behavior and perverse speech. And then Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling, or a haughty spirit before a fall. But think about Solomon's story. For 40 years, he has kept secret, the secret of his hair. Yes, Samson, thank you. Yeah, Solomon didn't do that. Samson did. Samson kept the secret of his hair from anyone. So why right now would he give it up so easy? 
First of all, it wasn't so quickly done. It took time. He compromised, he compromised, he compromised, and pretty soon he's believing that his own strength is his own strength and doesn't come from God. He has totally forgotten his dependence upon God and how far down the road to ruin he has actually gone. So think about it. When it comes to anything good about us, do you know where that comes from? It comes from God. Mature believers are not self-confident. They are God-confident. Pride's just the opposite. Pride says, I'm going, not going to ever get caught. Pride says, I can handle this. Pride says, I deserve to get what I want. Sounds a whole lot like Samson. I believe he was full of pride. Then finally, at the last part of verse 20 again, it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Let me ask you a sobering question today. If the Lord's presence would lose, leave your life, would you even notice it? Are you counting on your strength so much in your own life that it might take days, might take weeks, might take months to realize that he's left? This happened to Samson. And you know why? Because he was totally dependent upon his own strength within himself. There's a book called A Life Well Wasted by a man by the name of Chip Henderson. And he says this about Samson's story. He says, Samson's story is not so much a study in the amazing things he did as it, about, as it is about the things that he could have done. Did you hear that? It's not about the amazing things he did, but the things that he could have done. With that said, when we get to the end of our lives, and we stand before the Creator, we stand before our Creator, and He reminds us not of what we accomplished on our own, but what we could have accomplished with Him. Think about that moment. I think it'd be a sad moment. I think it'd be a sobering moment to find out what you could have accomplished, but you didn't because you let everything else get in the way. I think Paul, the apostle, puts it in perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? Paul's basically, when you cut to the chase, he's saying, you wouldn't have anything if it weren't for God. Do you realize that you and I would not have anything at all if it weren't for the goodness of our God? How many remember when Hurricane Katrina hit the Louisiana area a few years ago? There was a helicopter pilot named uh, Ian McConnell. He was told to keep five H-60 helicopters in the air around the clock, rescuing people from their rooftops and transporting them to the Superdome in New Orleans. He said they were only able to help a few survivors. He said on the first three missions, they rescued 89 people, three dogs, and a cat. On the fourth mission, he said we weren't able to rescue anyone. But he said it wasn't for lack of trying. He said there were dozens that refused to be picked up. They only wanted food and water. And he said we kept reminding them this water is going to stay high for a long time and the conditions are horrible. Very unsanitary conditions that you're going to be trying to live in. They still didn't want to be rescued. Afterwards, he finds out. Uh, he says, I found out that they didn't realize just how desperate their situation was. When I hear that, I think of our situations in life, and we let them go on, and we let them go on, and we let them go on, because we don't realize how desperate we are. We don't realize what kind of a desperate crisis we're actually in, and pride coming along doesn't help at all. Because the truth is, we're all desperate people. We're all desperate for God. And all your trophies and accomplishments and your strength 
If you think that's where you get your identity, you're mistaken. If that's where you think you really get your, your strength, is that's wrong. You're, you're, you're a fool. Because the truth is, bottom line is, there's one source, and it's Him. We need Him, the true source of our strength. You know, I'm thinking about Samson. This guy that was called, this guy that was ordained, this guy that, that was set on a mission to work for God from the moment he was in his mother's womb, the moment he was conceived, God had a plan for his life. And if he couldn't do it without God, I can't do it without God. And if, you can't, and if he can't do it without God, you can't do it without God. What I'm saying today is why do we keep trying to do it without God that wants to be there to walk every step of the way with us, walk through the hardest times, the deepest valleys, the lowest lows, to help us through whatever we're going through. If we would just turn our hearts toward him, turn our eyes toward him, we can fulfill the calling that he's already equipped us to accomplish the task is at hand, and God has equipped you and me. If you're a believer, a follower in Christ, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body, shall quicken your body to raise you up to be able to accomplish, not for your glory, but for His glory, everything that He has set you to do. Why do we wait? Why do we put it on hold? Why do we say, God, I think I can handle this? You can't handle this. Why do I think I can make this work? You can't make this work. I'm thankful for the gifts He gives us, but when you break it all down, they all come from Him. The bottom line, everything from the smallest thing to the biggest thing and everything in between is Him. And it comes from Him. Could you stand to your feet this morning? So if Samson couldn't do it, I can't do it. You can't do it. This morning as I pray, I just want your heart to be in agreement with me as I pray this because I'm going to pray this in the first person. I'm going to pray this as I'm just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with my God because I know the problems I have. I know that I'm a whole lot like Samson in a lot of areas, and I know that probably the rest of us are too. But I want to pray this, and all I want you to do is bow your head and be in agreement with me. God, I just confess to you that there have been so many times, days, weeks, months, where I've tried to live out my life on my own strength. Forgive me for that, Lord. Lord, I declare that I'm weak today, and my only hope is in your strength. Help me not to be like Samson and depend upon myself. Help me, Lord, to totally depend upon you. Lord, help me not to miss out on the destiny that you have already planned for my life. Lord, you've equipped me. You've empowered me. You've empowered me by your Spirit. Let me not get distracted like Samson did. Let me not let it all slip through my hands. And you might be here today and you feel like you've blown it. You feel like you've messed up too much for God to ever want you or God to ever be able to do anything in your life. Let me say you're in good company because we all have. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all uh, sinned against a holy God. But if you'll recognize that this morning, that's good news. Because if we'll just recognize it and see it for what it is, it can turn us back to Him so that He can get into our lives and do what only He can do. And then in the end, He can save us whatever we're up, from whatever we're up against. And the good news is, God is crazy about you today. God is crazy about every one of us so much that He loves us, so much He sent His Son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, a brutal death, shed His blood, was put in a tomb, and on the third day rose from the grave so that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord could be saved. If you don't know Jesus and you've never called upon His name, this could be your moment. 
This could be your moment for Him to make you brand new, give you a fresh start. So I want you to pray this prayer with me, all of us together. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you with the rest of my life. Thank you for this new life. I give you mine today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I pray that everyone in this place would take this message home, take it to heart, take it home. But Lord God, not leave it at home. Live it in every day, everywhere they go. I pray that we would realize your goodness and your mercy that follows us all the days of our lives. I pray that you would lead us and guide us to make good choices and good decisions based upon the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us all to be Samson's. Not to have supernatural strength within ourselves, but to have supernatural strength within you. The strength that you would give us. So, Father, I pray that we would just absorb that today and receive it and walk in it so that we don't let it all slip away. That we don't miss your calling upon our lives. As we leave this place, let us leave victorious in the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Go out and have a great rest of your day.